because wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. You are always with you. You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 82. And on this episode, I welcome Cheryl Anjanette. She is a best-selling author, international speaker, thought leader, and the CEO of Anjanette Wellness Academy. Her 30-year business background intersects with her vast mindfulness training that includes integrative hypnotherapy, NLP, and clinical and advanced certifications in cognitive behavioral neuroscience and stress, anxiety, and self-regulation. Cheryl works with individuals, small groups, and organizations to eliminate two things that are prevalent in this audience, imposter syndrome and burnout. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Heather. So happy to be here with you. I thought we would start today by you sharing with the audience just a little bit about your story. Yeah, well, you know, I was 40 years in the business world. And and in that, I was an entrepreneur three times, one of my companies I had for 20 years. And then I was also a senior executive for a couple of very large organizations, billion-dollar companies, so C-suite, which means you've worn all the hats. You don't get to the C-suite without having you know, been the beginner in middle management and all the roles. So I've, I've kind of been there, done that in the business world. And actually one of my very first companies was called Performance Alliance, and it was really around organizational health. So I've always just had a passion for how people um, really work, live, you know, find a healthy balance in their work life. Because let's face it, we spend about half of our time at work. Uh, and so that being said, I kind of come full circle. I did this deep dive into the healing arts. So I'm an integrative hypnotherapist. And that simply means that I've studied and I practice multiple modalities of hypnotherapy, NLP, some energy psychology, and, you know, as you mentioned, some of my degrees in cognitive behavioral neuroscience and, and in, um, stress, stress, anxiety and self-regulation. And really what happened for me is there was this point where I was helping people really kind of manifest their dreams. And I was looking at it somewhat with the gap analyst hat on. I was saying, why do some people manifest? Why are some people so easily sort of able to create what they want in their lives and others get stuck and held back and have these blocks and fears and, you know, limiting beliefs of what is going on? And I found this umbrella topic, imposter syndrome, as I dove into it, I thought, wow, that's where the cracks in the foundation are. And before we can really manifest, we have to fix the foundation, right? So I really did this deep dive. I spent a lot of time really working with groups of people on panels, asking questions, doing my research. And I noticed that nobody was coming up with a full solution, a way past imposter syndrome. I saw a lot of great strategies, a lot of great techniques to kind of cope, get through it, feel your fear, do it anyway, you know, and just just little tricks. But people still felt that 
deep anxiety and they had the rumination and they still found themselves sabotaging their best effort. So I thought, no, there's got to be a way past this. So I pulled on my hypnotherapy hat, which is the time where we can do the deep dive. We can really go back and find that root cause. And I thought, this is it. If we really need a holistic approach, inside out, outside in, work with the root, pull up those roots, till the soil, plant better seeds, but also repattern the mind outside in because our mind does become patterned, if that makes sense. It does. And all this work led to a book that you have out. Yeah, it did. It's called The Imposter Lies Within. Silence your critic, tame your fear, unleash your badass for me. And the title really is a double entendre. It, the imposter lies with it and it lies with it. Right. Right. So it's, it's in us. You know, one of the myths of imposter syndrome is people say, well, you're not really an imposter. So you not have imposter syndrome. And you see, that's a fallacy because imposter syndrome doesn't mean you're an imposter and it doesn't mean other people think you're an imposter. It's that we feel inside, internally, like we're an imposter, we're a fraud, we're a fake, that other people are going to figure it out. And I love that you're giving a definition because for some people, although I believe everyone experiences that feeling at some point in their life, um, there may be people on the call who are saying imposter syndrome, that's a new concept for me. It's actually widely studied in the field of academics, particularly with doctoral students. And it's this feeling that you don't belong. Like you said, that you're going to get found out, that you're not supposed to be here. You're not good enough. Despite evidence to the contrary. So there's actually a disconnect, a cognitive dissonance. Reality and perception do not match. So, you know, highly accomplished people Think Albert Einstein, Tina Fey, Maya Angelou, you know, Sheryl Sandberg really talk prolifically about imposter syndrome. So it's despite evidence to the contrary, we're not alerting. There's this maladaptive behavior that takes over. And you love to dispel myths that are out there. And as we dispel myths, we become more aware, more educated, right? Empowered to do something. So would you share? some of the other myths with us? Yeah, so, you know, one of the myths is feel your fear and do it anyways, the cure for imposter syndrome. Just push through. You'll gain more confidence. As you gain more confidence, you won't have this imposter syndrome thing. Now, here's what happens. The majority of people who experience imposter syndrome are not beginners. They're very accomplished. They've done that. They've pushed through their fear. They feel it anyway. And they still have the rumination, the deep anxiety, feeling like they're going to be exposed. So while that is an important strategy, a really powerful strategy, it's one of the things, one of the puzzle pieces, so to speak, it's not a cure. And, you know, the thing is, I do want to kind of go back and you're not alone in feeling like almost everyone experiences imposter syndrome or everyone has it. I hear this time and time again. And what's really interesting is before the pandemic, and these were really good studies. There was a, a few studies that showed that about 70% of people identified as experiencing imposter syndrome. And since that pandemic, the numbers will 
increase. So that makes sense, right? With all birth global uncertainty. But it's 85%. It's not 100%. And what's so interesting is there are people that do not experience imposter syndrome. And I know this because my husband is one of them. So my husband is quietly confident. You know, there is no disconnect. Does he have doubt? Yes. Does he have fear? Of course. Does he occasionally compare himself or his work to others? Of course. You know, but in the healthy zone, what I call the healthy zone, which is a concept that I coined in my book, it is adaptive place where feelings of doubt and fear are natural. They're wired into us. They're not going away. Fear is our great protector, but in the healthy zone, it works for us, not against us. Doubt as well, right? Rather than crippling self-doubt, it's our discernment muscle. We need some doubt. Otherwise, we believe everyone. So, yeah, so I do want to get into the myths. So one of the myths is failure of fear and do it anyway. So that's the cure. So it's 85%-ish of people experiencing imposter syndrome. Let's say a good percentage of those have felt their fear and do it anyway. It's not a cure, but it is a good strategy. Another one was what I just talked about. It's normal. You, you know, everyone has it. You just have to live with it. And the reason I say this is the myth, and I'm probably the only one I know that says this. So I'm definitely going against the tide, including some other authors and people that have really come out strongly about imposter syndrome. I've heard them say, just normalize it, normalize it. So here's the thing, Heather. If if that feeling of not belonging and this feeling to mask up, you know, I have to hide these emotions. What we're feeling is we really feel alone in our experience, don't we? We go out there and we think everybody else seems so confident. Nobody else is feeling this way. And then we realize, wow, it seems like 85%, like such a high percentage of people are experiencing. So we, the pendulum swing, I want you to think about this pendulum because we'll talk about it more. Pendulum swing to the other side that's like, well, everybody has it. So it's normal. You just have to live with it. Or it's always going to rear its ugly head. It gets better, but then something happens. So when we normalize something, we create a new self, right? So I think it's dangerous to normalize imposter syndrome. It's like saying, I'm just going to live with it. If you believe that, that will be your truth because what we believe is what is our reality. So I encourage people not to accept this, to be stubborn. I love that. Yes. I Don't love that resistance it. of saying, no, it doesn't have to be normal. No, it doesn't. You have a front row seat with someone who doesn't experience it. That must be pretty cool. I do. And I've gotten myself past it. And getting past it doesn't mean that you know, I don't have doubt or fear or I don't occasionally get on something in my head and it sticks with me, but I recognize it immediately. I know deep inside that I am good enough and I am worthy and I am deserving and my voice does matter and I do matter. I remind myself of that. I feel at peace with that. And when something comes into my head and it starts to ruinate, you know, like the hamster wheel, I tell it, either you get productive, this is either a problem to be worked out and you can stick around as long as you're being productive or you need to leave because you're not helping anything. You know, thank you for the thought, but goodbye. Let it go. I love that strategy. Mm -hmm. I'm huge into self-talk. Yes, self-talk, right? 
I never thought I was a bully until I heard how I speak to myself. It's like the bully in the brain. Why do we do that? So um, another one, and I think this is really an important one, is that it's a female phenomenon that only women had. Now, you talked about that early study, right, in 1972. Do you know that that was done by women with only a pool of women? And by the way, only white women. (laughs) So there was no diversity there. And so we have to be really careful with, and you're, we're speaking with academics, so we know that with which study to look at and make sure it's a complete study. Uh, since that time, there have been some really good studies that have been done that show that men and women experience imposter syndrome almost equally, just differently. Almost equally, just differently. This is really important. Interesting. 49% men, 52% women. But there are some gender differences. So that's really, really, um, I think that's insightful. Why is that damaging? Because if a man is experiencing, they may tend to suppress their emotion even more. They feel like, well, that's only for women. I shouldn't be experiencing self-doubt, right? this crippling self-doubt. I shouldn't be experiencing, you know, this feeling of never good enough. I'm never good enough. So it's important for men, especially because they're conditioned to suppress emotion, to begin to feel that as well. Um, then they're more like imposter syndrome. It's a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's a good thing to push yourself. It's a good thing to set the bar high. It's not a good thing when you're in chronic stress and rumination and losing and having your health affected. And when your first thought is, I'm not good enough. That's not a good thing. It's never a good thing. So we have to be careful about getting into that health zone. Or it's, you know, it keeps you humble. Why do people get confident with their good? Why do we equate confidence with their You see, a lot of times that pendulum swings to the other side and somebody acts super confident and they do become arrogant, but that's not in the healthy So in the healthy zone, confidence is quiet. It's assured. And if we think about it, when we're around people that are confident, don't we feel better? Would you rather be in the presence of someone that was confident than someone that was really unsure of themselves and making you feel a little uneasy with their right, So Yeah. And with all the energy work that you've done and my interest dappling there, I mean, everyone's emitting an energetic field, right? And we feel it. And so you do feel when you're in the presence of someone that's vibrating that type of calm, cool, stable confidence, it does impact you. It does. It does. So think about that pendulum. Think about like this circle here. It's we're dynamic beings. So it's not a pinpoint. There is no perfection. Things happen. We move. Sometimes that pendulum will get to the edge or even swing a little outside it. But when we have overcome imposter syndrome, where we've connected how we feel with our reality, you see, we feel good enough deep inside that inner confidence. That pendulum, if it swings on the outside, we have the strategies to knock ourselves right back to the inside. That's what that looks like. The last one, and I think this is important because I know a lot of your our students, right? A lot of people believe that, and I talked about, I talked around this before, but it's only because you're a beginner. But here's the thing, when you're a beginner at anything, it's natural to have some doubt and some fear and to be curious and to look at others and compare yourself. 
listen, I was just driving to a brand new workout, a new class that I hadn't ever done before. And I started realizing that I was feeling a little bit of doubt and I was a little bit nervous, fearful, nervous. And I was wondering if everyone else was going to be so much better and I was going to fall behind the class. I wasn't going to be able to do it. This was just yesterday morning. It wasn't imposter syndrome. It was the normal feelings of being a beginner. And I've trained my mind to rather than be worried, to be curious, rather than to have anxiety, to be creative. So in my mind, I decided to be on this curious track and creative and just remind myself that I'm a beginner and that's a good thing and it's always fun to learn. And Cheryl, I think that's such an important point because when you're first starting an academic program and a, a doctoral journey, you are a beginner. And so you have these feelings. And for the listeners out there to maybe get curious, I love that. I love that paradigm, that lens through which you can look. Well, I'm early in my program, so this is part of a process of learning something new. And then as you shift and you start to learn the ropes and you kind of know what's going on, then to become aware and curious if you're having those feelings, that may then be imposter syndrome, which you can overcome and you don't have to live with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we understand the way the brain works, and this is why neuroscience was so pivotal to my training. Well, we really understand that, you know, we bring in new information and we use our prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain right behind our forehead, to start to bring this new information in. You know, we use our discernment, we use our logic, our reasoning, and we start to look at that, right? But if it just stays there and it goes away, it never goes into our memory. So there's this process of learning and repetition and practicing things for it to sit into our hippocampus and become a part of our memory and for us to create those neural pathways, right? So it sits in there. And so when we understand that, we know there's just other curve. There's a competency staircase to everything we do. Everything. Making a new recipe, right? Right. Going to a new workout class or going into a new, you know, academic program. So it sounds like what you're saying is in order to overcome this thing that we don't have to live with, you're reprogramming. You were running a program. If we think of our minds like a computer, there was software yeah. that was running this and you're suggesting you can overcome it by getting an upgrade, maybe <laughs> new programming. Yeah. So there's two pieces of it. So what I do, and this is why it's holistic. It, when I said inside out, outside in, I want you to think about the inside out, doing the deep dive, getting those roots as reprogramming. Because a lot of that early programming, we didn't choose it. We were just these emotional, squishy beings, right? These children and taking in the world and an experience happens and it's not so much the experience, but the meaning or interpretation we had and it layers in that our mind looks for evidence to make us right. And the mind is, has a negative bias. So we keep going to, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm not deserving. And that becomes our belief system. So we have to reprogram that. So reprogram, yes, but also repattern. So the two reads are reprogram and repattern because our brain creates neural pathways for pattern of our beliefs, thoughts, and self-talk in the same way that it does our behaviors and our actions. You know, usually we think of habits as our behaviors, our actions. 
but it starts with beliefs. It starts with beliefs that inform the thoughts. And this is another concept I pointed in the book. It's, it's called the mind stack. And we do the deep dive below the book, actually. That, so the foundational layer are our experiences, not even the belief system yet. It's the experiences because we know that two people can have the exact same experience and come away with completely different meanings, interpretations, weightiness, right? The weight or impact it has on their life. So it's our little bee with our personality, our unique, you know, set, DNA, data set. And we go in and we have an experience and we give us a meaning or an interpretation. That becomes our belief system about ourselves in the world that informs our thoughts. And our thoughts that inform what you were talking about ourselves are the bully in the brain. And by the way, we all have an inner critic. They just don't have to take front and center stage. They don't have to be the one with the bullhorn. We can pull away the bullhorn. We can listen to them. We can put them back in the corner and let the, you know, our coach come out, our best friend, our best friend, because wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. You are always with you. So you want to hang out with a bully in the brain? <laughs> or would you like to hang out with your best friend? Would you like to hang out with somebody that always has your back? That's always helping you. Yeah, you want to get better. Yes, I understand. We want to stretch ourselves and set the bar high. I'm, you know, I was that overachiever too, but let's do it in a healthy way where it's energizing, not depleting. So we've got this, this step of pulling up the roots, understanding the root cause, those programs, those stories we were told when we were just these little sponges that have manifested into all sorts of interesting things as we become adults. And then you need to repattern the mind. So when we repattern, what does that look like practically? Okay, so I want you to think of a field. Think of a field with really tall grass, like it's coming up to about your waist, right? And you're looking over the end of the field and you have to get to the end of the field. And there is a really nice, well-worn path. Are you going to go trapsing through the field with the high grass or are you going to take the path? You're going to take the path, right? At least right. distance, because you'll get there faster. And what else? If you go through the grass, there might be snakes and bugs and it might spread. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's kind of yucky, right? And a little bit scary and like, what's going to come back and get me? So in your brain, it's the same thing. Your neurons connect in pathways. And if they do it long enough, it becomes very familiar. And that thought, that belief, the self-talk, the behavior is going to want to just go down that familiar pathway. Now, when you are creating a new pattern, a new habit, beliefs, thoughts, self-talk included, you need to actually go into those high grass the week, right? And you need to forge a new trail. Now, if you do it one, the other one's still there, right? You're going to want to jump back to it. That's why we start a new pattern and we jump back to the old one. That one's still the well-worn path. So you need to do it long enough that the new one becomes the well-worn path and the old one starts to grow weak because nobody's going down it. It doesn't fully go away. Like if you really look for it, it's still going to be there. That's why neuroscientists call it, it's extinct. It's not gone. We don't get rid of it. So it is possible. And sometimes we'll have, you know, unconscious secondary motivations and we'll jump back to it. So we need to be aware of those. Those are like 
you know, I want to be thin and I want to eat healthy, but I also love my ice cream and my tacos and my whatever, you know, buttery popcorn. So it's like we have to deal with those undercurrents that are in the unconscious mind. But you push that away over there, it becomes kind of extinct. So that's why the repatterning, it's not like, um, you know, reprogramming is fairly quick. It's interesting. Usually with my clients, I have clients I work with with one or two sessions. Some it's about three months. Occasionally they'll go longer just because they want to. But we can usually overcome, reprogram the stuff, the things that clients want to. By the way, I'm just a guide. I don't implant any messages or do anything strange. It's really just about them, but it's like a guy. But we can do the reprogramming right really fast. It's the repatterning though that takes time because you do need to create that neural pathway. Your brain needs to say, you know what, you're really not going down this pathway anymore. This is the one. So it's going to become faster and easier and it's going to start going on automatic. So you bring the unconscious conscious, you switch it up, and then you put the new patterns into the unconscious. You make it unconscious again through repetition. You know, I love that visual because it makes it so, so understandable. Here is this path of least resistance. You're going to go down it. And it explains why you may be able to reprogram. It really explains why people could say something like, well, I've done this or I've tried this and I thought I had it fixed, but here I am down that old path. Well, there's two separate things. You have to reprogram, but then you can't just walk down that grass once. You need to beat that path down. It's going to take, I don't know if if necessarily time is really a part of it, but commitment to firing the new pathway in your brain. And it's so easy to self-sabotage. It's so, so easy. And, you know, it's funny. I launched a, um, not a course. I don't want to call it a course because it's not just about learning. It's about doing. It's about going somewhere and having a real transformation. So I call it a voyage. I call it a voyage because I really, it's just, I don't know that we just need one more course. You know, the learning, the knowledge is great, but there seems to be a gap between knowing and doing. It's stuck in our head. You know, it's like, okay, now I know, I know, I know, I understand, but I still feel, or I'm still not doing this thing. So this is actually a voyage past self-sabotage so that we can cross that bridge. We can get to the other side, you know? So as I was looking at self-sabotage, I was just thinking, you know, there are just so many ways that it, it rears its ugly head right? And procrastinate and we overthink. So when you were talking earlier, I thought about what I call one of the other bullies. And these are the sabotage bullies. And we talked about experience. You said, I tried that. So maybe I shouldn't do this. I've already tried that. This is a really big one. Experience can be one of the biggest ways we self-sabotage. Either we say, I don't have enough experience. So who am I to do that? I haven't done it before. Well, when are you going to do it if you don't try, right? I mean, I'm thinking as you're talking, things like meditation, people will say right away, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The other big one is um, people trying something like starting a business or doing something in their business or yeah, maybe doing meditation or trying to, I don't like to say lose weight. That's what most people say, reduce their weight, right? Um, They'll say, I've done that. I've tried it. It doesn't work, right? Or I fail. I fail. 
Can you change the word failure to feedback? You know, there really is no failure. Failure is just feedback. And I think of it as a missed take, like a director's clapper. You know, instead of a mistake, it's a missed take. Take one, take two, take three. You iterate to great. So, so going back to experience, experience is like this, you know, it, I call her experience Ethel, by the way. I've given them all names. So Ethel comes around and she'll tell you why you can't do something. Try that. You're not going to do it. Why are you going to try again? And so we have to overcome that. We have to realize that's just another boy in the brain. That's another voice that is not helping us. If you try to perform great, what did you learn? What can you do a little differently this next time? And as I said, iterate to great. What's the next iteration going to look like? And if you don't get it that time, you try it again. You know, we have plenty of great models. What was the Colonel Sanders is the famous one. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, it was like he went to a hunt. I have to a thousand. Something crazy, just like the light bulb, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. exactly. Cheryl, I love that you name the different voices. That was something that someone encouraged me to do years and years ago. And it really, I don't know if it's because I'm a visual and auditory learner, but I have, haven't named them. I'm going to do that after this podcast, but I can see them and they have very distinct looks about them. And they're not just little mini me's, you know, my critic is an older man, you know, for example, (laughs) but I can tell them, okay, come, let's have a chat. And then I I have a bench where I can go put them. And so I love that through this journey, you're empowering people to have tools so they can repattern how they're thinking. Is this a journey that is open and people could still jump on board or have you closed that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I have one going on right now. My next one for 2022, the last one for 2022 will launch on October 19th. Well, I'll make sure everyone has ways to connect with you in the show notes, as well as a link to your book. But before we started recording, we were talking about Clubhouse. That's an app. It's a it's a way to engage and continue conversation. If you don't know about it, check it out. And right now you have a room that you do every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon noon Eastern. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So my club on Clubhouse is called the Inside Out Club. And if anyone's on Clubhouse or would just like to join, it's really easy to join. You just download the app and and join. And you can look for me, Cheryl and Jeanette. And it's every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And we always have a conversation in the Wednesday room around imposter syndrome. So for example, we talk about self-sabotage. We talk about inner child healing. We talk about burnout, which is a big one. We talk about gender. So there are gender differences, you know? So we really, we talk about fear. We talk about doubt. We talk about comparison, right? Comparison is a huge one. Well, we'll make sure people know how to find that if that's something that's calling to them. And I would love to have you back on another episode to get uh, dive deep with burnout and talk sure. more about that. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, absolutely. So important, so pervasive right now. Cheryl, thank you for taking time to debunk some of these myths and give us some actionable tools here that we can use to reprogram and repattern. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. 
Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, if you're looking for more ways to invite joy into your journey, check out the free resources at expandyourhappy.com. You'll find downloads like an article I wrote titled, The Doctoral Journey, 12 Things You Need to Know That They Probably Won't Tell You, and a worksheet that will help you pick a general research area for your dissertation or doctoral project. Based on audience requests, there is a PDF that organizes all podcasts by the seven steps detailed in the Happy Doc Student Handbook, which you can also find on the website. And if you're looking for Happy Doc Student swag, I've got that too. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. And if you want to make my day, rate and review so that together we can change the way graduate education is delivered and experienced. Hey, one more thing. Just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 